A few months ago, Adam Smith and his team released 2,300 blog posts on an age domain with a domain ranking of 27. It's now at 40,000 monthly visitors and growing rapidly every day. This episode details the keyword targeting strategy behind what they're calling the Beast SEO case study. And I think it's the most ambitious case study I've ever seen for any niche site. This is the final episode of Three with Adam, who's one of the foremost experts in niche site building. You can expect to learn three things which are going to be game changers for your SEO strategy. The first one, how to find websites that are overperforming. I'm talking positive anomalies. Two, how to raid those websites for their content strategy ideas. And three, how to turn their content strategy into a winning one for your site. We're talking about niche sites here, but don't forget this strategy also applies to SaaS and services businesses too. I'm a huge believer in building content through the lens of niche topical authority. I think if any type of business sees their blog as though they're building a niche website just for that audience, then they're likely to actually build a high value resource that generates real affinity with their audience and converts that reader across the entire buyer funnel. If you want to dig a bit deeper into the strategy behind this episode, I've turned it into a third 13-step guide on the How the Fuck website, which I'll link to below wherever you're listening to this. It will have screenshots and videos and a lot of little extras to help you really understand how this works. But just a heads up, that's only available to the premium members of the How the Fuck community. It costs £17 a month and there's tons and tons of resources, case studies, strategy guides and templates in there to help you build high quality, high converting content despite the scale. I hope you enjoy the episode. Please support the podcast by hitting subscribe and sharing this with a friend who might like it. Thank you. Hi, welcome back to the podcast, round three. Really happy to have you here. Good to be back. In this episode, you're going to talk to me about your kind of keyword research methodology. I think it's like fascinating and it's if they, the fact that you do like keyword research for so many clients and like you know what to look for and what to pick to like pick winners and things like that. I'd just love to hear your process, really. Yeah, no, definitely. And we've got a name for it. We call it Tomb Raiding SEO, mm-hmm. Tomb Raiding Keyword Research. But in all honesty, it's not... It's nothing new, the individual steps of the process. We just basically systemized it because we run an agency and we have to systemize things and then put a name to it, essentially. But the the premise of Tomb Raider SEO is that you are starting either with an age domain, so you're already starting with a domain that has authority, or you're doing keyword research for an existing website. So you're starting with at a position of power, essentially, because that's important when we do Tomb Raider and SEO. And what we look for with Tomb Raider and SEO, and I'll go through the steps in a second, but essentially what we're looking for, the end goal is to identify competitors that are in us in the in the niche that we want to go into that have really weak backlink profiles. So they're not strong from an authority perspective, but are doing something really awesome on the content front, then Google's rewarding them with lots of traffic. And we want to understand what that is. So the process that we st- always start with is to get a, as big a list as possible of all the competitors that are within our space. And you can do this in a number of ways. You can literally just Google different terms and keywords and make a list in Excel of all the competitors that you find in the SERPs. <laughs> and then you can put them into SEMrush or Ahrefs and look at the competitor lists. But essentially, you want to spend as much time as you can to get as much competitors, to make a list of as big as you can of all the competitors in your space. And At this point in time, you don't care if they're big sites or small sites, they're getting lots of traffic or not. You just want a a big list. You put your URL in there as well. So you're in the list as well. And then you pull out six metrics. And these are metrics which give us an idea of how strong the backlink profile is. So we look at Ahrefs, UR and DR, so URL rating and domain rating. So we pull out the metrics for them. 
we look at Majestic's trust flow and citation flow, and we look at Moz's DA and PA. And the reason that we look at six of them is essentially sometimes AHREFs can give you a really low domain authority score, and then you look at something else and it's it's higher. So we basically got trying to get to a point of truth, and we use three independent metrics to give us an idea. And then you add those up to give you a total score, and that essentially becomes the the domain's overall authority score, overall power, essentially. And then you... Do you literally just add them up, or do you have any weighting? Just add them up. Just add them up. Yeah. And then we order that list highest to lowest on the or the final authority score, and you're in that list. And then you, you've got an idea then of where you sit in that competitor landscape, just purely from a, a domain authority perspective. So, you know... If you're in the middle somewhere, that's great because you've got a ton of competitors that are weaker than you, but you've also got a lot of room for progression in the space. If you are lower down in the list, you might have less opportunity for understanding what the competitors are doing, but you know that if you spent time and effort doing link building, you can move yourself up the list and unlock essentially new opportunities. So you can get an understanding of where you sit really in the competitor landscape from that. And then once you know where you are in that list, we remove everybody that's above you in this step. So we've only got all the weaker competitors. And then from there, we then pull in traffic data. So we pull in Ahrefs and SEMrush traffic data. And we know these are estimates, but essentially you've got to, you've got to use something to, to figure out how much traffic yeah. they get. And what we now look for is now we pull in the traffic estimates is we look for outliers, essentially. We look for anomalies almost. So we, we look for sites that are getting lots and lots of traffic in comparison to their their domain score essentially and this might mean you know sites which are sub dr10 getting a hundred thousand plus visits it, it just feels like an anomaly they, they're not there because of domain authorities so they're there because of something they're doing with the content and this is overall traffic it's not any particular page at this point at this point it's just overall traffic and once we've identified those kind of outliers we'll highlight them and then we'll delve deeper into the actual individual pages. So we'll put them back into SEMrush. And then from there, you can have a little look at how that traffic is just distributed across the pages. If it's one page or two or three pages getting the majority of that traffic, we just remove it from the list because really it's an outlier. And the outlier is they're doing well with one or two pieces of content. So we're not really interested in that. Something else is going on there. But what we're looking for essentially are these outliers where they've got a good distribution of traffic across a number of pages or across the whole site. And then they become a... a Sorry to interrupt. So if there was like this one outlier page, would you think about just writing that one as well if you haven't got it? Or is it just like... Not normally. I mean, because normally what you will find, and it's not always the case, but normally what you'll find is for some reason, and again, it feels like an anomaly, they are ranking for typically a, a really competitive term that they shouldn't be ranking for. And it's, it's almost like it's an accident. And, and I bet oh, at some point in time, they're going to stop ranking for that term and they're going to lose that traffic. Not always, but that's usually what you see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So try to avoid anything that's not really predictable. You can see why it's happening. And... Exactly. That's right. And then once you've got that final list of these look interesting, they've got a good distribution of traffic. You download all the URLs that they have from SEMrush with their associated monthly traffic. And then you put them into Screaming Frog then, and you pull out the title, you pull out the meta description, you pull out the H tags, the H1s, the H2s. And then you can then really delve in and have a look at how are they structuring this content. And basically what we, what you, you download all the, the URLs, you put them all into a big spreadsheet, you add in all this additional data from Screaming Frog. And then the next step is before you even look at identifying which ones you 
look interesting to you. You've got to categorize them. And this is becoming really important now. People talk about topical authority and clusters of content. What we used to do and what we used to work really well was we would just order that list highest to lowest of traffic. And we would just go from highest to lowest, essentially, and essentially recreate that content and make it a little bit better, which we'll talk about in a bit. But that doesn't really work anymore. You now have to cluster them together first. And then based on that, understand which is the, is the highest priority. So you cluster those pages into topic. Exactly. Okay. I'll give you an example of that. I looked at a plan recently and it was in a travel space. It was in, and they were looking at cruise lines specifically within the travel space. And when we looked at, I think there was about eight competitors of those kind of anomaly ones, which we identified. Within there, it was very clear that there were there were clusters. So there was a cluster around Norwegian cruises, like the Norwegian cruise lines. There was a cluster around Disney cruise lines. Mm-hmm. There was a cluster around drinks packages. There was a cluster around different types of cabins. So we categorized them into, you know, what makes sense essentially, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And then using just some basic Excel formulas. So you look at sum if and count if, you can then add up how much traffic each one of those categories is going to get, how many words they've got, because you pull up the word count for each post from SEMrush, mm-hmm. how many posts there are. And then essentially, if you divide the traffic by the number of posts, you get an average traffic per post for each category. And that's when you can determine, all right, well, we'll start with Norwegian Cruise Lines because... Best. It's the best. Yeah, okay. We'll cover it in full. We'll cover all of the Norwegian um, yeah, Cruise Lines first. And then we'll move on to the next opportunity. And that could be drinks packages across all cruise lines, not just one, but you know you're going to cover everything about drinks next. That's good. Okay, so yeah, so instead of just, whereas in the past you would have just ranked, you would have just gone for the most highest volume one first, now you're going for the highest volume topic category. What what would have happened in the past typically is you might have had maybe four articles on Norwegian cruise lines in the top, but you might have just had one on Disney cruises, and that might be the only one. And then you write the content, you build the website, and you're left with this one outlier of, Disney Cruise is not really going to rank because you're not building any, you have no other authority on Disney Cruise Lines apart from maybe what's the the food menu look like on a Disney Cruise Line ship. You know, it, it just mm. doesn't make sense. Is that it? Is that the end of the process? Basically, you just then you just go and write them. Exactly. So you've got your list then and you've got your, essentially it lays out the structure of the website for you and in terms of category, because now you've got your categories, you know, where you're going to start, you know, the titles of the topics, you know, the word count associated with them because you know that the competitors have done a good job and are getting traffic based on that word count. So you want something similar. You also know what the meta description looks like, the title looks like, and you also know what topics they're covering based on the H tags. So the brief that we then give to our team is you've got to cover the same topics. It doesn't have to be in the same order and it definitely can't be copied and pasted or anything like that. It's got to be unique to yourself, but you've got to cover the same topics essentially that this competitor covers, but we want ours a little bit better. So is that is that every heading that's been covered or is it just topically that's what we need to cover? Basically not. Yeah. Both essentially. So the, the headings will be different. You'll make your H2 headings or H3 headings different to the competitors. Okay. But in essence, it needs to cover the same points. Okay, yeah, because that's what that I think can be confusing. Like, I think the advice out there often you see is just take all the headers and do the same. But often people don't make their headers perfect, so it's just like a non-descriptive or it's like unnecessary bit of content for you. Even so, you know, just do what makes sense for you, but like cover the same sections and topics. And exactly, that's right. And then we always then want to make our piece of content slightly better. So 
typically we'll get the word count for the composers and then we'll either round it up or we'll round it up and add another couple of hundred words and that will allow us then to add an FAQ section. And typically the FAQ section will be anything from three to five questions that we will pull from Google's people also asked box. So we'll take, say it's Norwegian drinks menu. Nice. That, that's the title. We'll take that, we'll put it into Google, we'll see what the associated people also ask questions and we'll make an FAQ section out of that. So what we end up with is we know our domain is stronger. We've got a better domain in terms of backlink profile. So we've got more authority and power. We know that this competitor is doing something right in terms of either keyword selection or structure of content or both. And now we've got a piece of content that's structured the same way, going after the same keyword, but it's slightly better. And there's a very good chance then that because you've got a better piece and you've got a stronger domain, over time, you can take the traffic away from that competitor. What is it? That sounds like it's amazing, right? It's so clear, step-by-step, step, like everyone can do this. What is it that it's probably like such an, like an it depends SEO question, yeah. but like, why is it that you've done it better? You've got a better domain. Why is it then that you're not, not every article beats them or wins? Yeah. This is a paid advertisement from our sponsors. UseUp is a performance-driven SEO agency that helps ambitious brands get high authority backlinks and make SEO their customer growth engine. I've personally built a high-scale SEO content strategy, and if I could go back, the one thing I wish I did was fuel that traffic with backlinks. We grew so much slower because we thought we could win on the quality of our content alone. And frankly, even though it was 10 times better than our competitors, a lot of that content didn't rank. It was only when we started proactively claiming backlinks that traffic went from 10% a month growth to 20% a month jumps. Almost all the crazy SEO growth stories on this podcast were ran alongside ambitious PR campaigns and professional backlink building, which helped fuel authority and actually underline their traffic growth. It's all about authority and perception. Those things take time to build organically without a backlink partner you can trust. Use up can be that partner. Well, you'll have to ask Google that because most websites you look at, it's the 80-20 rule, isn't it? Where 20% of the con 80 of the traffic is driven by 20% of the content. Yeah. Why that happens, who knows? But when when working with SEO, I think the only thing you can do is give yourself the best opportunity to get traffic. And in terms of a systemized process on understanding what you should write and how you should structure it, I don't think there's a I think this way of looking at actual traffic, what Google is re is rewarding right now is much better than looking at search volume and keyword difficulty and third-party metrics, just yeah. to give an idea of can I rank for it or not. Yeah, I agree. And if you follow this strategy and you make sure your content actually is serving the reader, giving that intent, not just there for Google, you can't really go wrong, right? Until someone else comes along and makes better content for you. As long as you're not tricking Google in some like sneaky way, yeah. then really like that's the same strategy that everyone should follow. Just bring it to their own, their own area and their own niche. And um, it is. when you think about keyword research, you know, everyone is looking at what's working for other people. This is just a systemized approach for that and understanding it. And the good thing about this plan is it doesn't just stop there. So you've, you've done your initial round of content, you've got your initial plan and that's great when you start your content. But as you either naturally acquire links over time because you start getting traffic or you go out and actively do link building, um, you'll start to move up that competitor list. So then you can go and like, oh, well, I've moved up three places. I've now got three new competitors to analyze. And what you should always be doing is trying to move yourself to the top, reevaluating and redoing the plan based on who knew is below you. 
And essentially, you might have you might start out with ten pieces of content on Norwegian cruise lines because that's what's below you now. But you move up ten places, and you might discover that there's another fifteen pieces of content and fifteen keywords on that. And you really, over time, build out a massive authority and cover all the topics as long as you keep moving yourself up that mm-hmm. kind of peddler landscape. One question I have then: Do you do every bit of content the people below you have, or do you just do the stuff that's making traffic? Only the stuff that's getting traffic and our internal cutoff is at least 100 visitors per month. At least 100, okay. So there could be the fact that they have 10,000 pages about a subject not ranking that's helping their topical authority or something, but I guess. Potentially, we do kind of cover that off a little bit in that, say, for example, when we did that initial categorization and there was only one piece of content on Disney Cruise Lines, we would exclude that just because there's only one piece. We would just say that's not big enough to be a category, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Let's say you have a topic cluster, most of them doing a thousand in traffic in one topic. Let's say there's 20 articles, 15 of them are doing a thousand traffic and then five of them are not doing any. Do you just cut them off or do you make them? We would cut them off because they didn't meet the the traffic thresholds. Okay. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because sometimes I see people, especially in SaaS, like when you're thinking about it in a, in a funnel of a buyer funnel, trying to get people down to that, like you write content in that topic that isn't designed to rank, like it does not be a keyword on it, but you include it because it's a key part of something that the user wants to know and, and all that kind of stuff. As well as slightly different if you're fully niche site, like, right, you're not trying to weave in your product into every piece of article and like convert that user, you're trying to get traffic. Exactly. And what you'll find with most content or affiliate sites is bounce rate and returning visitors. Bounce rate is really high and returning visitors are really low because of the types of keywords you go after. Someone is searching for a piece of a specific piece of information. They're not looking for a solution to a problem. Usually they're searching for which is the best cabin to stay at on a cruise ship. And they come through, they search on Google, they find your article, they click it, they read your article. They're very unlikely to then go and read additional content on your site typically they you know they might sign up to a newsletter list or whatever but most in my experience affiliate and content sites bounce rate is really high because they're serving it's almost like a transactional value someone wants to know a piece of information quick they get it they go back they bounce they close it and they're on to something else then it's it's exactly like that so that animals website i was talking to you about like animals beginning with a you type that in in google probably because right now like you're playing a game or you're doing something you read it and you leave. Like you're not going to go and sit and read. Oh, animals go with M. I wonder what's in there. Oh, what about P? Like, you're not going to sit there and do that. Yeah. You? yeah, exactly. But then if you look at that site, it's very much designed to be a, le- a language resource for kids. So I guess yeah. it's maybe one percent of those visitors who are like a teacher and they're like, mm-hmm. "Cool, saving this for next time." Or so it's kind of a mix. I guess that's if you're just going straight niche or like brand outcomes. And yeah, cool. Is there anything else on that that I've missed? I guess that's it on Tomb Raiding. I mean, like I say, the the, the theory of it is is pretty simplistic. It, it it's time consuming. The it's time consuming up front to get the big list, and plans will fall apart if you don't do that part right. Because you've got to get as big a list of competitors as you can to give you enough opportunity to see what's working well. Uh, so I definitely, if you're going to do this, I wouldn't scrimp on any time, even if it takes days to pull together that initial list. Like you've just got to you've got to do it. How many competitors would you have in a standard list? It depends on the size of the plan, essentially. But our beast case study, which was we've created just over 4 million words of content for, which is about 2,300 articles. There was over 600 competitors in that list. 600. 
And for that one, what was your like domain rating when you started? We were a DR27 when we started that one, but we're now a 43. So we've gone back and reevaluated opportunities based on us moving up there. Was that active or was that the result of publishing tons of content your rating went up? Uh, so the rating, it's, it's gone from a 27 to a 43 in six months because we redirected in five additional age domains. And we've also been doing digital PR. Okay, cool. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? So you've got loads of new redirected backlinks and things from like big sites in that area. And we've gone from, and I literally looked at this the other day, gone from, in terms of referring domains to give you an idea what that looks like. We've gone from, we, when we initially started as a DR27, we had 440 referring domains. Now it's a 43, we have 1,970 referring domains. Nice. The domains that we've redirected into them, we did one of the month of launch, which was in August. It was a DR33, had 316 referring domains. We did two in September the following month, a DR27 and a DR20. We did one in October, which was a DR24. We couldn't find a quality one in November. And then we did another one in December, which was a DR20. And DR is not linear, so it's not like you got a DR20 and you redirected DR20 and you end up with a 40. It gets exponentially harder. You go up. Yeah. But plan is in the next six months to continue this strategy and, and take that site to a DR60. Yeah. Nice. I think there's, it's like you said as well, like, like the fact that you use Ahrefs and Majestic and Moz, like they don't, Ahrefs especially doesn't particularly know how quality those links are, does it? I think I read it there, they divide, they look at the site that linked to you and they divide it by the number of sites it links to. So it yeah. shares the juice right. and like calculate, but yeah, it doesn't make that much sense. But, um, but you've got to use something as a yeah. start point, essentially. And yeah, all these tools date like third-party data or metrics. They're questionable, but what else would you use, yeah. essentially? I've heard a few people say Majestic Trust Flow is like 10 times better. I also have no idea. But it's also it's, it's one of those things that's a great benchmark just to see how, how you're doing. But that's, you know, you never know. That one link that someone got might be the thing that made their article top or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much. It's been like amazing three-part series. <laughs> so yeah, I really appreciate you sharing all your insights. No, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's been great. And I guess if anybody's got any questions, they're listening, then um, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or, or wherever. I'm more than happy to, as I said to you yesterday after the call, I love talking about this kind of stuff. It's my world. So yeah, happy to chat yeah. Answer anything. Cool. Yeah, definitely. You've got a YouTube channel as well, right? We do. It's called Niche Website Builders. Soon to be Make Lemonades because we're rebranding. But yeah, if you're interested in anything to do with age domains, really, or, or Tomb Raiding and stuff, we've got an hour long episode on Tomb Raiding. If you go to the channel and search that, we give an example. Oh, share, a, share our screen and show you, like, over the shoulder exactly what we do. Age domain stuff, we've got everything from how we vet them, how we find them how we set up 301 redirects, how we recreate any old content from way back. Like there's tons of videos on age domains. We basically, our ethos is to share as much information as we can, knowing that some people will say, awesome, thanks, that's great, and do it themselves. But there's going to be a, sub, a subset of people that say, I don't have the time or inclination or to want to do it myself and really do it for us. So that's that's our ethos is just giving. That's when I think that's when you've hit the next level of marketing, when you know that giving brings you more than hiding. But yeah. I've, I did an episode on this, called like how to get SEO leads. And we talked in depth about just giving away, sharing. For sure. Yeah, cool. Okay. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening to the How The Fuck podcast. This is part three. If you're digging into SEO strategy right now, go back to part one and part two and give those a listen because Adam Smith 
is a bit of a genius at this kind of stuff and he's really great to listen to on it. And if I so may, I highly recommend listening to the series with Monday.com as well. Uh, Part one focused on how Monday scaled their content production in particular. They did a thousand articles in 12 months, which is not easy, but with the slick process detailed in part one, it is a hell of a lot easier. Uh, Part two caught up with Eliana and Zoe from the Monday.com content and SEO team. They told us how the strategy evolved and how they used data to iterate, improve, and then squeeze ROI out of their SEO strategy. If you're really looking to understand how a public company the size of Monday do SEO and why they did such a crazy fast SEO strategy, then both of those are a really cool series to listen to. If you're loving all the content at the moment, please rate and subscribe. It really does help. Um... We also have a premium community where raving fans can get more and more and more from me and the How The Fuck podcast. Um, Just head over to the website, explore a little bit, and you will find it. Um, And yeah, peace. Have a lovely day. (laughs) 